Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Battier. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello, and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Battier. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. I am here today with Song Hoon Wu, CEO and co-founder of Emoji. Emoji is developing a direct ammonia-to-power engine. They have had multiple trials at various scales and came out with a big announcement recently that they are building the first ever ammonia-to-power tugboat. I'm happy to have Song Hoon on the show today to introduce us to Emoji and this recent exciting announcement. So, Song Hoon, thank you for joining me on the show today. If you would, please share with me and the audience your background and a quick introduction to Emoji. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So my name is Tong Hoon Woo. I'm the CEO and co-founder of company Amoji. First, to share my background, I was trained as an engineer as well. I received my PhD from MIT back in 2015. But to be clear, my background was not about ammonia or energy, but my background was more about the solid-state physics. So in my personal expertise, I worked on the semiconductor physics a lot. So I worked in the semiconductor industry since I graduated from MIT for roughly six to seven years including the most recent experience at IBM Research. But two years ago, two and a half years ago, I decided to solve probably the more immediate challenge of the generation, which I saw great potential using ammonia as a fuel. So I decided to start this company together with the other people who I knew from MIT days. Then that was the beginning of Amogy two and a half years ago. Well, thank you for that introduction. And so we're talking about ammonia to power. Can you explain that a little bit more and perhaps why or how is ammonia to power unique? And actually, to start that question, let's understand or first define ammonia, just in case there's people who haven't taken chemistry in a while. That's right. I mean, ammonia, I think people have at least heard about ammonia one time because ammonia has been used in many of the industries for a while. So ammonia is mostly used as a fertilizer these days. So ammonia, which is NH3, containing one nitrogen atom and three hydrogen atoms, that's been used in the fertilizer in the agriculture industry longer than actually about a century because ammonia really helps the crops and plants to grow well, giving them the nitrogen part of their, yeah, of their life. So that's the existing use case of the ammonia, but ammonia has not been used as a fuel yet, while there has been a lot of discussions about using ammonia as a fuel as well. The part of the reason there is that ammonia actually presents very high energy density. So energy density is important because you want to store as much energy possible in the limited volume and the, and, and the weight. That's part of the reason why we are using hydrocarbon, because hydrocarbon has very high energy density. Hmm. 
So ammonia has high energy density, but there has not been an efficient way of converting that energy dense material to actual energy. So that's what energy brings probably for the first time in the world, the technology solution which can help enable the use of the ammonia as a fuel by converting ammonia to power very efficiently and effectively. Okay, so we're talking about NH3, and previously the focus has always been on that N part, the nitrogen. But now it's almost like we, we've been so focused on hydrogen as this new fuel source. And, and what you pointed out there, that the hydrogen is, is why we've been using hydrocarbons because of that hydrogen component. So it makes, it makes sense to think about ammonia as this fuel source. Now, I see that, that value, but, and you said it's a, it's a good fuel source because it's energy dense. Can you help understand for the audience and for myself, what do we, do we know, or I guess, what is that quantitative difference between something like ammonia versus hydrogen in its normal state versus something like, let's say, just methane or natural gas? Yeah, that's the health of comparison. So compared to, first of all, to hydrocarbon, like the diesel, ammonia presents probably the half of the energy density. So ammonia is still the lower energy dense material compared to the hydrocarbon. However, if you compare ammonia with the other potential renewables, because we have to decarbonize those industries, to, for example, the liquid hydrogen, ammonia presents higher energy density compared to the liquid hydrogen. But the important fact here is that to make the hydrogen as a liquid so that you can effectively store the material, you have to cool it, make the temperature as cold as negative 250 Celsius, while ammonia can be a liquid at room temperature. So that's what I meant by effectiveness of this fuel, because not just higher energy density, but you need less uh, stringent condition to make it as a liquid. Okay. So basically, when we are talking about ammonia versus liquid hydrogen, the the difference there is that almost as you think about this in a carbon intensity or a a power to power, how much power you're putting in to generate this fuel source, the liquid ammonia is is easier to make which means it is less energy intensive to make, and that makes it more effective, which is what you said. That's yeah, just to be clear on that note, so of course, we, to make the ammonia, ammonia uses hydrogen as a feedstock. So after making the hydrogen, hydrogen is mixed together with the nitrogen from the air to generate the ammonia. So if you are focused on the production of the material itself, production of the ammonia requires a little bit more energy compared to production of the hydrogen because we have to go through another process. However, the biggest problem that ammonia is solving is the difficulty of the transportation and storage of the hydrogen, which is very, very difficult because you have to deal with the gas or you have to cool it down to almost absolute zero temperature, which requires a lot of the money as well as the energy. Okay. Very interesting. And that, that, makes, that makes sense that ultimately you're, you're starting with the hydrogen. That's really what, what you're, you're focused on as far as that's, that's what has the energy in it. And then it's a matter of how do you actually transport that? And then how do you actually use that? That's and right. So thinking through all of this, it, one of the areas where, where 
you have made emoji has made these these strides and where we see everybody really talking about some type of alternative fuel energy source is is long haul transportation heavy machinery those those industries that currently just don't seem to work well for electric vehicles or, or battery power which is really where the the tugboat the tugboat announcement fits right in line with that can you can you uh talk to us a little bit about the history of emoji what were I guess what has been your your work from kind of day one up to now getting converting a tugboat? Yeah, sure. So first about the history of Amogy. So Amogy is still a very young company. We established the company two and a half years ago. But during the time, the company has grown to roughly 100 people today, where we have also raised roughly $70 million of the funding. So that growth has been possible because the company was able to demonstrate the technology at the different scale. So first, after probably signing the company, after spending the five to six months after signing the company, we first demonstrated our technology in much smaller platform, which was UAV, the commercial drone. So we presented ammonia power zero emission mobility first in the commercial drone, which was uh, roughly 50 pounds in weight. But that was really serving as the first ever ammonia powered mobility without the emission. So after proving our technology in the smaller scale, we started raising more funding and also scaling the technology to much bigger scales. So for example, last year, we demonstrated the John Deere tractor, 100 kilowatt scale John Deere tractor powered by ammonia. And also that tractor, we brought the tractor to a farm using ammonia as a fertilizer mm -hmm. to present that. As I noted, in some industry, we already use ammonia and there are existing ammonia ecosystem. And our technology can really help rapidly decarbonize those industries because we can use exactly the same ammonia. And after the success of the tractor, we then scaled it further where we demonstrated ammonia powered commercial truck and the class A truck earlier this year, semi truck. And our semi-truck, also for your information, can store as much energy, as much electric energy as the Tesla semi would store, while you can fully recharge, meaning fully fill the ammonia tank within only seven to eight minutes. That's what's possible using ammonia liquid fuel hmm. as a renewable fuel. And today, we are excited to announce our next project, which is Ammonia Power Tugboat. So essentially, the company is scaling from five kilowatt to about a megawatt within the matter of three years or so. That's the journey of the energy that we've been presenting. That is, it's really, it's really cool and really exciting to hear that, that growth and just the, the way that you were able to go from something as, as small as a drone mm -hmm. and then work your way up through tractor to semi to now tugboat. One question that I first had when we met and, and one question I think probably some people are thinking is is why why a tugboat why have you gone through these other industries that are that are just as important or from my perspective just as important to decarbonize but and you've already demonstrated the technology so why why the tugboat now that's a really good question so first to be clear, I have very high hope and expectation for the battery technology. So battery technology is amazing and battery technology 
has already started decarbonizing many of the probably the small applications, including the consumer vehicle. However, if you look at the large transportation, such as maritime shipping, there's not really solutions other than probably ammonia and, and a couple other options. So because of that, from the beginning of the company's journey, we have been focused on the decarbonization of heavy transportation and heavy industries using our technology. However, from the beginning of our journey, we had to prove ourselves really having the scale of the technology. So that's why we started from something small, such as drone, and proved the scalability by presenting the much higher scale technologies in different platforms like the tractor and truck. And finally, we are starting our active decarbonization effort in the maritime shipping by presenting the first tugboat later this year, which we are very much excited for. Yep, that is that makes sense, and it's it's exciting to hear. And I think it's important to point out that when we are looking at something like the maritime industry, it it is a it's a very hard industry to decarbonize. And I think one of the things that many people talk about is is the the for lack of a better term, the dirtiness of the fuel that that these large shipping vessels use because they physically can burn anything. That's but, right. But that is, I guess, do you have a, a feel on how large is the maritime industry in terms of carbon footprint for, for shipping or supply chain or some type of metric that people can understand? Sure. So the maritime shipping alone takes account for roughly 3% of the global greenhouse gas emissions. However, the bigger problem is that we are trading more commodities, more materials, more Amazon packages, meaning if we are not taking action today, there are reports projecting that maritime shipping will likely generate 10% of the greenhouse gas in 2040 and 2050. So if we are not making any action today, then I mean, one out of 10 carbon molecules we see from the atmosphere will likely be coming from the maritime vessels. So this is how serious the problem is. But at the same time, the bigger problem is that there has not really been the technologically and economically viable solution yet. For example, people wanted to use battery because battery is available, but the battery size as big as the container ship cannot still make the transportation across the Pacific or the Atlantic because energy density is limited. Wow. So the industry have known that the fuel has to be the liquid fuel with high energy dense density, such as ammonia. But however, the technology converting ammonia to power has been missing. That's why our technology is such important technology, which enables the maritime industry to use finally this ammonia as a fuel by adopting our technology. Yeah, that is, it's a very large number growing to 10%. And, and part of that is, is also important to think about that that is directly a result of all of I guess all of the consumerism that we have, the supply chain, the the need for our our new stuff, and and almost in part there is, I would think that there would be a concern that as things like carbon taxes or decarbonization efforts are put in place, if those are not cost effective and commercially viable. Either way, those extra costs are going to be pushed onto the consumer. That's right. Which is uh, which is a scary thought to think about when we're talking about ten percent of the global CO two footprint by twenty forty or twenty fifty. That's right. However, gratefully, 
the regulators in the shipping industry, as well as the other important stakeholders in the industry, already acknowledges the problem, meaning the regulator of the industry, which is IMO, International Maritime Organization, they already put the strong regulation in place where the shipping industry has to reduce 40% CO2 by 2030 and 70% CO2 by 2050 compared to the 2008 level. So there is a strong regulation in place, but however, we then need a technology solution to really change the fuel. Yep, yep, exactly. So let's talk about the technology a little bit. Now, we've been talking about ammonia to power, and one thing that, that I guess is that I'd like to, to cover, and forgive the, the ignorance here, but wouldn't this just be kind of the same as, as using hydrogen? So, yeah, I mean, there is a big difference there is that we are using ammonia as a hydrogen carrier. So to be honest about the technology itself, we are still using the hydrogen propulsion technology, which is the fuel cell. But however, instead of running fuel cell using hydrogen, we run the fuel cell using ammonia by adopting our technology in the middle, which converts ammonia to hydrogen effectively then produce the hydrogen, goes to the fuel cell to generate the power. So that changes the fuel from hydrogen to ammonia, which is much, much easier to store and transport, therefore much cheaper when it comes to the, the, the dollar for energy values. Okay. And instead of something like a liquid hydrogen or just transporting the ammonia as a, as a transport mechanism, you're saying you're physically filling up the tank with ammonia and running your running your fuel cell as opposed to somewhere else where you may have a fuel cell but if you've got a ammonia transport you are first stripping off the nitrogen into hydrogen and then your hydrogen going into your fuel cell yeah right i mean we are essentially eliminating the necessity of the hydrogen transportation st storage at all by mm -hmm. moving that ammonia to hydrogen conversion part right in the vehicle right before the fuel cell so our technology essentially takes the ammonia from the ammonia tank in the vehicle and then converts that to hydrogen. And the produced hydrogen, without having the intermediate storage, goes directly into the fuel cell to generate the power. So you don't see the intermediate hydrogen storage and transportation at all by adopting our technology. Fascinating. Now, I, I want to go back to one thing that you pointed out earlier, specifically with the agriculture industry. Right now, we use we use ammonia primarily as a fertilizer. And you pointed out that that has essentially created these ammonia hubs. And obviously my first thought when you said that was the current effort and funding going into creating hydrogen hubs. So my question there is how, how prominent or what, did, what are you envisioning as this ammonia hub and how, I guess, how easy is it to integrate into with something like Emoji? Because it seems like it would be relatively easy. That's right. But so to be honest, I mean, the hydrogen hub, that is the great activity. And also because the company is using ammonia as a hydrogen carrier, so we use ammonia within the hydrogen vector, meaning the company Emoji is also involved with the hydrogen hub activities across the United States and also globally because, I mean, Hydrogen Hub is good that, I mean, there is a significant amount of capital which supports the adoption of the hydrogen economy, 
but they still have the issues with the hydrogen transportation and storage, which we can solve by providing a solution where you can store the hydrogen using ammonia, but we will convert ammonia back to the hydrogen. Mm. So, and also, if you look at the worldwide effort for the production of the renewable hydrogen, and majority, I would say probably the 50% of the green hydrogen project, the final product is actually ammonia, the low carbon ammonia, because, I mean, ammonia is using hydrogen as a feedstock. And from hydrogen perspective, it always becomes a problem if you want to store and transport hydrogen. So you would rather convert that to ammonia, which makes more sense economically, and deal with the ammonia. Okay. Now, one, another question, sticking it with this agriculture theme. As we talk about using ammonia as a fuel source and thinking about that more and more, my my first thought something that maybe others are thinking about if we're currently using all of our ammonia for fertilizer how does this change the ammonia supply chain and how does that potentially impact food prices this is a very important question because we cannot use the same ammonia which is currently used for the fertilizer for the fuel but also, if you want to use ammonia as a fuel, and you have to produce a lot more ammonia to really accommodate that while not impacting on the food supplies or other food problem, which can be even more bigger problem for the goal of, I mean, econ not just for the economy, probably for the humanity as well. But to share the information about the ammonia production and also what's happening in the ammonia production industry, we see that there is a strong effort happening there to produce the low carbon ammonia at scale. So currently, ammonia, roughly 200 million tons of the ammonia produced annually. But with this effort to use the ammonia as a fuel, there are globally roughly 100 MTA, the half of the current capacity, to be deployed as a new ammonia, not just new ammonia, low carbon ammonia to be produced in the next five to 10 years. So the big difference we see is that, I mean, to date, ammonia production has been managed by the fertilizer companies. However, with the interest from the oil and gas and the energy industry as a whole, ammonia production now is managed by not just fertilizer company and also invented and developed by the oil and gas companies and energy companies out there, where there is much stronger push, stronger capital, which will enable more availability of the ammonia at scale as we start using that as a fuel as well. Okay, great. So basically, it will ultimately scale up with the need and with the, the growth of, of utilizing ammonia or hydrogen fuels because ultimately we, we need it to scale. That's right. Yep. And I always think it's important to, as we talk about things like the, like the, the intersection of energy and food security and energy security, it's always one of those hot button items of, well, if we're developing something like biofuels, how does that impact food prices? Or if we're developing something like ammonia, specifically for fuel, how is that going to impact food prices? So I think it's important. It's good to, to note that, that it's no longer just the agriculture industry focused on ammonia production, but it will ultimately be be a part of the energy supply chain. Exactly, exactly. It yeah. will be really the energy and oil and gas companies jumping into the area, developing much larger amount of the ammonia at scale 
so that we can help decarbonize the heavy transportation industries while not making any impact to the food supply and the food security, which is important. Yep, absolutely. Now, one one more big thought. We've Right now, you're focused on the maritime industry, but the agriculture industry, as we've been talking about right now, and also long-haul ground transport, those are two also very large industries. So you're focused on the maritime right now. You've explained that well. Is there ever a future with Amogee where you might also be looking at these other areas in agriculture and long-haul transport? For sure. So MOG is starting from the maritime industry. However, we see that there are many other problems that we have to solve. And also we can solve using ammonia as a fuel, including long-haul trucking, tractor, as well as the other heavy manufacturing and heavy industries. But the biggest reason that we are going after the shipping industry for the, as the first market is that shipping industry, because of their understanding on ammonia and acknowledgement of ammonia as a fuel, there are, I mean, existing, for example, the regulations how to store ammonia, and the regulators are developing the regulation on the use of the ammonia as a fuel as well. In some areas, like the Norway, Scandinavian countries, they also started building the ammonia bunkering solution infrastructure. So you because of the, the readiness of the market, the market barrier from our perspective is the really the lowest in the maritime industry. Mm-hmm. So our strategy is going after the maritime industry and succeeding there, which will open up a lot more doors towards the other heavy industries which need solution from Amogee. Okay. That, that sounds great. Because it definitely sounds like anything that is a very a long transport, heavy heavy need for energy is really, it sounds like this is one of those opportune markets to, to utilize ammonia. That's right. So with, with all this in mind, you're, you're currently working on the tugboat and, and you've, you're, you're three years old in the company. So what is the, the five year, the next five years look like for Amogee? I love the question. So, I mean, of course, the company has made great progress in developing and scaling the technology. However, this company is really for the entire energy transition, looking at the next 30 years, 40 years, and many more decades to come. So we are really at the very first chapter of the company right now. Next five years, we want to see our technology deployed in real commercial settings, probably in the ships and also the other areas as well, so that we can see Amogee technology actively decarbonizing the industry that has never imagined the decarbonization with the other solutions. That's what we want to see and achieve in the next five years. But again, that is the beginning compared to our life cycle becoming like the more than 50 to 100 years. So we will start from there. But eventually, we see that ammonia is going to be one of the most important fuel in the future to really enable the global decarbonization. Then we will stay as the most advanced ammonia technology solution provider to enable the decarbonization of many other heart of an industries in the future. That's great. And that's, that's exciting to hear. And I think it, it's, it's important to, uh, to see that opportunity. And also, I, I do want to make a comment here about, about the way that you've gone about it, because I think it's, it is always fun to see retrofits and to see renovations of existing equipment and i realized that you kind of have to do that because you're you're the first ammonia to power company so 
obviously there's not going to be a tractor that has a quick and easy way to make that retrofit or a tugboat that makes that. But I think it's important to point out here that the ability to retrofit means that there is all of that existing equipment there that you can immediately decarbonize with the retrofit. And in some cases, it may be more expensive. Some cases, it may be cheaper. Some cases, you may not want to do that, and you may want to start fresh. But it's I like to always point out the opportunity there of that reuse part of the, of the whole energy ecosystem and the whole uh, circular economy aspect. I would 100% agree with that. There are reasons why, I mean, tractor look like the tractor today and the marine vessel look like the marine vessel today because, I mean, I have a great respect for those industries where people have for hundreds of the years to really optimize and make the tractor and the larger transportation, including the maritime vessel, to be the most helpful for the global economy. And also to really make the decarbonization in those industries, you have to collaborate with the incumbent technology providers as well. To really make that happen, then you have to really prove yourself being able to retrofit the existing technology, which is important, and which can also accelerate adoption of the new technology as well. Yeah. Going back to the tugboat, our tugboat was built in 1957 and 70 years old. And this tugboat used to push petroleum across the Hudson, I mean, along the Hudson River. <laughs> so we are essentially giving the new life to this tugboat by retrofitting and providing a new life being to be powered by ammonia, zero emission for the first time. This is a great story. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that is very fun. Well, with that, I want to transition into the final questions. These are the questions I ask all of my guests. That first one being, what is a favorite book of yours that you would recommend? To be honest, I since I started the company, I've not had uh, many opportunities to read many books. But recently, I read a book which is called Build. That was written by Tony Fadell, who is the inventor of the iPod and also the iPhone and also who is the inventor of the Nest, which was sold to Google. And he wrote a book about how to build things, how to build a company. Because as soon as I started this company and as I was going through the different challenges, I figured that building something is completely different from just imagining or thinking about it or just talking about it. So that book talks a lot about how to build, how to effectively build to make the imagination reality which gave me a lot, a lot of great insight as well. So I wanted to, I wanted to bring, I wanted to share that with you as well. That is, <laughs> that's a great, great recommendation, and I, I absolutely love that because being here recording at Sarah Week, I think that Sarah Week by S and P Global, I think that is one of those aspects, one of those aspects about everything going on here that everybody is building something and trying to build this new energy ecosystem that ultimately makes makes the world a better place so it's it's a a very fitting book for where we are where we're recording and just in general the the whole the whole feel right mm -hmm. now so the next question is when will we be net zero as a society to be honest we really have to achieve 2050. I mean, 2050 is not a random number that people came up with to make to get helpful for their business, not at all. And 2050 is really the global goal we have to achieve to make this planet sustainable. I mean, we have to carry on this amazing planet for the next 10, next, next generations. We have to achieve that by 2050. We can't really push that out. So 
the question, so the answer, my answer is it has to be 2050. Therefore, it will be 2050. That I've never gotten that answer before. So thank you for that that candidness because you're basically saying it's it's 2050 or bust. If we don't get 2050, there are going to be potentially dire consequences. Yeah, so, I mean, we started seeing, I mean, unfortunate situations driven by the climate already in mm -hmm. some areas of the world. So we really got to stop it as soon as possible. Yep. Yep. All right. So now the last question is you actually get to ask me a question. So what, what technology makes you the most excited? Because you must be speaking with a lot of the founders and builders and the company, I mean, executive leaders as well. So what technology makes you the most excited and why? Yeah. So I think that it's a it's a combination and in some ways this is a bit of a cop-out answer but i i'm always excited by that person i'm interviewing next or like the person i'm interviewing at that time so right now amogee is like super exciting to me but i think that and i i really do think that it is an all of the above solution so we're going to need a lot more power and especially if we want to make things like green hydrogen and create the green hydrogen that can then be converted to ammonia. We need more solar, more wind, and we need a way to store that and to store that cost effectively, which, which anybody I talk to, it, it sounds like there's either an overbuild, which is an added cost and, and drives the, the timeline for actual payback. So you could either overbuild to generate hydrogen, which is expensive, or you could figure out a way to store that power, which through batteries is expensive. So one other aspect that I really like is, is subsurface energy storage. I really think that the subsurface using geothermal, using thermal energy storage, using carbon sequestration, I think that is, is one of those other key aspects that are that's going to be an integral part of the future but in order to do all that you still also need the extra energy mm. so you can store it mm -hmm. you need to understand the subsurface mm -hmm. you need direct air capture so you can put co2 into the ground and you still need the ammonia to to transport everything back and forth so everything really excites me I guess. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that because, I mean, certainly the biggest change we will see is that the future is not going to be the play of the single fuel. It's going to be the play of the combination of the fuels, including hydrogen, ammonia, and methanol, or something else, as well, as well as the new technology, mm. carbon sequestration, geothermal, which we have not actively used yet. But no. here we are at the Sarah Week, and it's great to see the strong progress happening all of all the energy space, energy landscape. So it gives me the confidence that we will get there, really, by 2050. Great. So thank you for joining me on the show today. Before we sign off, is there anything else that you'd like to say? I mean, thank you for having me for this amazing, I mean, the conversation today, which I really enjoyed. And hopefully this is helpful for the audiences as well. And again, we kind of started seeing the hydrogen and ammonia, I mean, new energy driven wall. But again, we really have to achieve the next year by 2050. I'll leave that here. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Song Hoon. 
And thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, share it with a friend and leave a review telling me what you're enjoying most or what you'd like to hear more of. If you want more news and energy-related stories, we have all sorts of energy-related podcasts on OGGN. You can find them by connecting with us on LinkedIn or visiting OGGN.com. We also have new podcasts that we've released. We have a marketing podcast. We have a geopolitics podcast, if you're into that sort of thing. So go check them out, listen in, and, and let us know what you like. One more thing, I have a quick favor to ask. I have a one-question survey that I want you to go fill out. If you do that, then we can send you some stickers. Finally, if you have any questions, comments, corrections, or have a story that you would like to share, send me an email or find me on LinkedIn. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low carbon, high energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.